overwhelm is that feeling as if we have more coming at us than we can contain. The problem is most of us, we need to be filled up, but we don't need to be filled up with more stuff. We need to be filled up from the inside. And so when more stuff keeps coming at us, it doesn't fill us up. It just feels like it's putting pressure on us. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy belated holidays. I hope you found some rest and some coziness amidst this week. What a start to 2021. I am very happy to be back on the podcast with a new year, a new season amid so much going on in the world that is really heavy. So I'm just thinking of you listening and I hope that you are processing everything that's going on in a way that feels nourishing to you. I'm excited about today's guest, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She's a board-certified internal medicine physician with an active medical practice near Birmingham, Alabama, and she's the author of many books. She's been an adjunct faculty member at multiple universities teaching courses on health and nutrition and disease prevention, and she's this international media resource who's been featured everywhere from... MSNBC and Women's Day, and she talks about a recent media feature that she got in this episode. And, you know, she says that we all have made rest synonymous with laziness when in reality, it's key to more energy and more productivity and more creativity and increased happiness even. And, you know, I think that this year, if it's taught us anything with the pandemic, it's gentleness and slowing down. And I say this year, I mean 2020, I guess. Although where I am in LA and most many other places as well, you know, where the the pandemic is is just still here (laughs) in the largest way. And Again, with everything going on, I think rest and gentleness are just so incredibly important. I've spent more time alone over these holiday weeks than I have in a really long time. And that meant, you know, actual physical rest for me, going to sleep at like 9 p.m. multiple nights and just being like, all right, that's all I've got in me. Even though I had a lot of work I could have done or reading or even like taking a bath, but I just needed to physically sleep. But as you'll hear in this episode, physical rest, sleep is just one of the seven types of rest that Dr. Sandra will cover and she'll go through them. It's mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative, which she'll get into. But she says that having a deficiency in any one type of 
these sorts of risks can have unfavorable effects on your whole situation, your whole life. And I, you know, I, I thought that was a cool concept and I was like, all right, cool. Like, I, you know, she'd be an interesting, she seems like an interesting person to have on the podcast. What I didn't know was that this conversation would give me many lessons and watershed moments. And of course we talk about those types of rest that I mentioned. One of them, creative rest, the way she explains that really hit me with an aha moment. She also talks about spiritual rest really being about belonging and belonging is a word that I've been thinking about and processing these last couple months. And when I heard that, it, it made me cry. And I just, I think you'll like hearing about it as well. She also gives this lesson about friendship, about being the friend you want to have that the way she articulates it is is really useful. And she talks about falling in love and how falling in love a lot and having different kinds of experiences of love is really important. And I loved that. And then she talks about this concept of mental refocusing, which I hadn't heard that term before, but essentially it's harnessing your own mind or protecting yourself from your own mind, as my friend Sophie always reminds me. And that's been something that's been really helpful. And anyway, I'm going to get to this episode as quickly as possible. But speaking of lessons, since, you know, this is a bit shorter of an episode than usual, and I thought I would cover some lessons that I learned in 2020. And I've been doing a post like this every year for the last couple years where I, you know, I did 19 things I learned in 2019. And then I just made this 20 lessons I learned in 2020. And I thought I would read them here and give you a little bit more context of how I learned them and where I learned them because I was so all over the world, all over the map, literally at the beginning of this year and then figuratively for the rest of the year. And again, by this year, I mean last year. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you these 20 lessons and then, you know, you'll hear my conversation with Dr. Sandra. But again, 2020 was just ripe for the picking with lessons. I, I learned so much about myself and I thought that some of that would be useful to share here. It's essentially what I do in Creative Underdogs, my membership. I share what I'm learning in real time and and make conversation and connection about it. So a year ago at this time, this week, I was in I was in Bali. I packed up my apartment in Brooklyn and Greenpoint. If you're new to this show, I used to live in New York City. I lived in the East Village for a really long time. And then I was in I was traveling in Europe and then I was in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And I planned on packing up that apartment and embarking on a year of solo travel. So I moved all my belongings into my best friend's place and I was going to Bali for January, which I did. And I was with some past podcast guests. And then I went to Australia and I was there for February, their summer. And then I landed in Los Angeles. I extended my trip in Australia a little bit and I landed in LA in the middle of March and if anyone remembers the middle of March and what that was like in the world and in the pandemic it was a really uncertain time and I didn't know if I should go back to New York or if I should stay here my plan was to just be in LA for March and April and fully miss the winter and the cold months in New York on the east coast and then go back and find a new apartment and settle into 
Brooklyn. But, you know, turns out I stayed in Los Angeles. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that. But like I said, I learned a lot throughout all of these months. And I'm going to tell you some of those lessons now in case they are useful to you. The post is on my Instagram, which I will link to. But here we go. I'll see how many I can get through. And then maybe I will continue some of these lessons next time in next week's episode. But starting in January in Ubud, I learned when you don't communicate your needs, it's not just a detriment to you. It's also a detriment to the people around you. And I'll tell you a story about this. So I learned this lesson in Bali when I was there with many previous podcast guests, Kristen and Natalie and Gabriella, who who ended up subsequently doing the podcast later while I was in Bali. But I had hurt myself. I had this injury that like sciatica, like it hurt my back when I sat in a chair for too long and sitting on the floor really hurt. And in Bali, there's a lot of floor sitting at restaurants. And we were in this restaurant, which seems so foreign now because can't even imagine sitting inside of a restaurant, but we were sitting at a table that you sat on pillows on the ground and they had tables that weren't that way. And Natalie could see that I was like not wanting to sit there really, but I wasn't going to say anything because I didn't want to like make a big deal or have us move or whatever. And she was like, Katie, I think we should move. Like, I know your butt is hurting you and you have sciatica and like, I want to move. So we move and there was kind of like tension. And then, you know, what her and Kristen said, the the table we moved to ended up being so much better. It was like out of the sun. It was like a just better experience all around for everyone, not just me and my body. And she was like, look, by you not stating your needs, we would have missed being at this great table and would have missed having this sort of lunch than we would have on the ground over there. And you speaking up is helpful for you and everyone involved. And and that's like a silly example, but I think it is so true in the sense of like me holding it in and trying to just be okay causes resentment later. And that's the whole point of let it out. Next lesson that I learned in Ubud, you can do isolation. You can be on the other side of the globe or the other side of the country. And yet there you are. Because when I was in Bali, I spent the first week with friends, with Kristen and Natalie and my friend Karen, and then it was fully alone the next three weeks. And I didn't know anyone there, and I was so far from home, and I was in such a different time zone that it was hard to communicate with friends. And yet I was okay. And all of my fears and neuroses were still there. And I still like somehow filled my time and made friends, and you know, it was wild. And Another thing I learned in Bali, you've heard me say before, but I learned this from someone I worked with there. And he said to me, don't try to feel better. Get better at feeling. Don't try to feel better. Get better at feeling. And I've written that on post-its. I've told it to all my friends. It was such a valuable lesson for me to learn. Okay, then I get to Byron Bay. I'm with Aaron and Noah, my friends who have done the podcast. And I'm talking to Aaron about creativity, actually. And I'm talking to her about overwhelm. And this came up in my podcast episode with her. But she had this really great advice for overwhelm, which was, when you feel overwhelmed, stop taking in more. Stop taking in more inspiration or communication and integrate what you already have. And that was so helpful to me. That was such a watershed moment. And I think, you know, we don't talk enough about integration. We learn all these lessons and we do all this 
self-development and spiritual work, but it's the integration of it that is most important. Okay, so then I get to Los Angeles and I'm in this house, this first house I lived in with other people and it ended up, you know, I, I thought I was just going to be there for a couple months and I'm subleasing and everyone's busy and working and doing their jobs and I was going to be out seeing friends. I'm like, I'm never going to see these people. Turned out everyone worked from home. Turned out, well, ended up working from home. They didn't normally. Um, and turns out we were all super there. <laughs> so it became this strange episode of the real world where pandemic and they ended up becoming very close friends of mine. And I realized that, you know, this sense of belonging that I've been wanting to feel and I talk about a little bit, you'll hear in this episode with Dr. Sandra, is something I really have to figure out how to feel on the inside and not from the outside. And I'm still working with that. And that ended up becoming a theme of the second house that I moved into this summer when I was still subletting while I was living with people and trying to find this apartment that I'm in now. It's, you know, that sense of belonging is really something that I've just had to learn again and again and again, and I think is just part of my my karma. And this goes with the next lesson, which is you are not in control, but you sure do have a lot of habits and coping mechanisms that make you feel like you are <laughs> or try to make you feel like you are. You know, I've picked up a lot of bad habits this year, and I've known about other ones that I've just ignored. And, you know, I'm really working through that. Okay, another thing that I learned kind of in 2019, but I'm still unpacking now is that not everyone shows love like you do, but it doesn't mean you aren't loved. People might not communicate like I do at the level that I do, but they might show love in a different way. And I talk about that a bit with my episode with Christine from a couple weeks ago, but that relates to this other lesson, which is we can only give to others at the level that we give to ourselves. And we can only love others at the level that we love ourselves. And, you know, I can roll my eyes at self-love too, but I think this is just true, you guys. And it's hard. It's like a tough pill to swallow. And it's also true that we judge others at the level we judge ourselves. So being kind to ourselves, being gentler with ourselves is maybe just not self-centered. It maybe is important to help the world, right? And then another thing I learned in this second house I was living with in LA is if you are interesting, you are probably present. And what I mean by that is people who are interested in what they're doing fully are very interesting to watch. So like think about babies, right? Like babies are so present and interested in what they're doing, which makes them fascinating to us, you know? So I'm trying to be one of those people, be mindful and present in this new year and not rushing and doing a million things. Another thing I learned is I'm incredibly vain <laughs> and, you know, turns out that that's the case. However, this is the real twist I wasn't expecting. All of my worst vanity nightmares happened. Like my hair broke off for some reason. I don't know if it wasn't cutting it or I went to these hot springs and then I was just kind of like messing with my hair a lot, like doing a lot to it and trying to like make it look good for some reason. 
so my hair just got really like unhealthy and not looking how I want it to look. And none of my clothes from a year ago fit anymore. And my skin got this weird rash from being in the sun and that I think I picked up in Bali. It's since gone away. I've aged a lot just from being in the sun a lot. And I turned 30 this year and yet barely anybody noticed. Most of it was in my mind. So I really just learned that I need to stop letting how I look dictate how I live. Another thing I learned from Whitney, actually, who I lived with in the second house and who did the podcast, he said this on the podcast, but it's a lesson on friendship. And he says, don't force friendship. Some come easy. Some will be slow. Some will come and go. Some will last and some will end. And that's, uh, again, not my favorite lesson to learn, but true and useful to know. Early pandemic, I learned that I am very comfortable living in a kinetic, frantic, high, running around state where I'm doing errands and I'm out. And like New York was great for that, right? Like, yeah, uptown, downtown. Let me just head over there. I'll go to that appointment and that meeting and I'll record in person. (sighs) That is not how it works in the pandemic. That is not how it worked in Bali when I was alone. So I had a little preamble. As comfortable as I am living in that state, I'm equally as uncomfortable, grounded, and fed and still. And that's what I'm working on. I also learned big time this year that I have so much privilege that makes my life so much easier than a lot of marginalized people. And I want to continue to listen and learn and be aware of it. And that is something that I will be continuing forever and continuing to learn. I kind of want to leave it here because I have so many more lessons. I think I'm just going to leave it here. Yeah, because this is already getting long. But, you know, next week it's a shorter episode as well. And if you thought this was interesting, I'll continue with these lessons and I'll I'll tell you some more things I'm learning and some context around it and we'll go from there. Enjoy this episode with Dr. Sandra and I will talk to you at the end. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Sandra. I'm really excited to talk to you. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. So where where are you again? You're on the East Coast, right? I am. I'm in Alabama near Birmingham. Oh, cool. I would love to know, you know, we always start this show going back, you know, where are you from? What were you like as a kid? How did you, did you know you wanted to study medicine and become a doctor? Honestly, I think I've always wanted to be a doctor. I can't recall wanting to do anything else. I remember as a kid, there's this game called Operation. I think it's still out there. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that it. Basically, you have this human body. You remember that? And it has the little prong that you try not to get zzz, as you're getting the little body part out. And I remember doing that. And I was thinking, this is what I would do for the rest of my life. I want to deal with wow. one part. And uh, honestly, I can't recall ever wanting to do anything else. Wow. So then what sort of medicine do, do you practice and did you practice and study? Yes, I went into internal medicine. Now, I can say this. Initially, I thought that I wanted to be a pediatrician. That was kind of the initial thought process when I thought about medicine. But after my pediatric residency, it was very obvious that I did not have the patience for pediatrics. And so I 
went into adult medicine. So internal medicine is basically anyone 18 or older. And my work included ER and ICU and then just general internal medicine as well. Wow. So your work now centers on rest. And from what I've discovered through familiarizing myself with your work, this comes directly from your personal experience with burnout. Can you talk about what the impetus of writing your book about rest and and making your work around rest? Yes. Well, as you stated, I burned out. So as um, as I just mentioned, I was in internal medicine for during that time with the burnout, and I was in a traditional internal medicine practice, which basically means I was working all the time. I saw my patients when they went into the ER, if they were sick enough to go to the ICU, and then I saw them in the clinic as well in my medical practice. And at the time, I had two kids, two toddlers, both in diapers, and a marriage, and you know all the things. And trying to figure out how to keep all the things functioning and thriving just led to a point where I didn't have time for myself. I had no way of kind of really looking at how do you integrate all of these family responsibilities along with all of these work and professional responsibilities in a healthy way. And, you know, during that time of burnout, one of the main things I noticed, I was just chronically tired all the time. It didn't matter how long I slept. It didn't matter if I went on a vacation. You know, I, if, no matter what I did for stress relief or trying to improve how I felt, I just chronically stayed tired. And it was then that I realized that medicine really hadn't equipped me to understand how to revive my energy. Because unless I could find like a specific medical diagnosis for myself, which there wasn't, you know, my thyroid function, my adrenals were fine, my vitamin levels were good. There was nothing that stood out as a reason why I felt so tired and getting more sleep wasn't solving it. I could go to bed and sleep eight, nine, 10 hours and I'd still be exhausted when I woke up. And that's when it started to kind of dawn on me that there's something I'm missing. There's something that is needed for me to feel restored and revived and energized that I'm not getting that hasn't really been quantified or identified adequately in medicine. And that's what took me on this journey of looking at what is rest. You know, many of us, we combine the terms sleep and rest and we treat them as if they're the same thing and they just simply aren't. Yeah. So you have this really cool thing of, I think it's seven different kinds of rest, right? Yes. I thought these were really tremendous and I, I'd love to, to pick out a couple of them. One of them is called creative rest. And so I'd love for you to, to talk about that. But I don't know if it's necessarily related to creativity, but I would love to hear your... We talk a lot about creativity on the show. So what is your thoughts on the connection to creativity and rest? Yes, Absolutely. Just to get them out there, you mentioned there's seven. Yeah, yeah. The way my brain is like, well, what are seven? So, yes, <laughs> so I'll just name them so that they're out there Great. for those people that are like me. So the seven are the physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. And creative rest is probably the one that, that was the most intriguing to me because it was one that a lot of us experience or have experienced it and didn't really have a term for it or know what to call what we were feeling. So if you're someone who's ever had this experience where either you're maybe you know on vacation at a body of water or you drive by a lake on your way to work or just going out for a walk in nature seems to make you feel better. 
And so being in these kind of places, you just, you can't quantify what it is about it, but something about it just makes you feel better, more energized, more relaxed, more grounded. You've experienced creative rest. Creative rest is the rest we experience when we allow ourselves to appreciate beauty in whatever form, whether it's natural form, like the mountains and the going to the park, or if it's creative beauty or man-made beauty, rather, that are things like art and going to a museum or listen to the symphony or going to the theater. All of these things, what they do when we allow ourselves to appreciate beauty, it awakens something inside of us. It's, it's kind of re-sparks our inspiration and our creativity. And it's just as important for people who don't necessarily see themselves as a creative. You know, all creatives aren't artists or musicians or, you know, painters and all of these things. For some people, they're needing just as much creative rest as, say, an author because they are writing marketing material and they're having to stay creative and innovative and at the top of their game, creating content as graphic designers or trying to, let's say, if you're a teacher and you're trying to figure out how to teach the same topic to an auditory learner as to a visual learner. And so you're having to stay innovative and kind of keeping your, your options open to be able to extrapolate information and to create something new. You're using creative energy. And if that's the kind of work that you do, then you need creative rest because every time you use that creative energy, you're pouring out of that part of yourself, which can lead to a depletion. And that's when people start experiencing rest deficits because they are pouring out of an area of their life that they haven't identified as one that they also need to be restoring and pouring back into. Mm. So what are some ways that, that we can pour back into? <laughs> you, you give a lot of strategies around that. And I've heard you talk about keeping them in the day and not necessarily these sweeping things that become too overwhelming to actually stick to. Yeah. So if we're looking at, say, for instance, creative rest, you know, we can't all just hop into our jet or something and go to the beach every time we want. So what some of the studies have shown is that you can still experience creative rest, even if your restful locations are not close to your home, by just looking at images of that. So if it's the lake or the ocean or the beach, you can use lock screens on your computer or on your phone of those restful places to begin to experience some of the same creative rest. Or if it's the outdoors, you can bring the outdoors inside, potted plants, fresh cut flowers, multiple ways of doing that. Let's say, for instance, if your rest deficit is in the mental rest part and you have a hard time turning off your brain and quieting your cerebral space, you may find it very helpful as someone who lays down at night and your mind starts kind of jumping to all the different things that it wants to think about to just keep a notepad so that you can do some brain dumping and kind of let all of those thoughts go on to something concrete like a journal or a piece of paper so that you can get your headspace cleared out well enough to sleep deeper. You speak about emotional rest. I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit, but I think you've spoken about how ruminating on a conversation or you know that anxiety spiral that a lot of people including myself <laughs> do often and a lot of people who listen to this podcast you know we talk a lot about anxiety and depression and 
mental health here. So what are some strategies that, that help with that? Or, and can you talk about how that relates to rest? Or yeah, lack so, of, I guess. <laughs> absolutely. So emotional rest is the rest that we, we receive when we allow ourselves to just be very vulnerable, open, and authentic about what's going on with us emotionally. And, you know, for a lot of us, that's hard to do because we don't really feel like we have those people in our lives where we can be emotionally vulnerable. And so that's, that's part of it is just making sure that you do have someone in your life that you feel like you can share that with, whether it's a therapist, a counselor, a coach, a pastor, you know, whatever your, your emotional rest person is, it could be a family member, a trusted friend, it's, that's really up to you. But we all need someone where we can say, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not in a good headspace, so that we don't feel like we're always having to pretty up our emotions so that other people can digest them. And that's, what, that's an extra level of stress that many people deal with because we don't want to tell our spouse or our close friends or the people we work with how our emotions are processing because we don't want their judgment or we don't want to scare them, or we don't want to put extra work and pressure on them. And in turn, what we do is we put it back on ourselves and pour even more out from our empty tanks. So it's important to make sure that you do have someone in your life, even if that's someone you're paying to do that, like a therapist or a counselor, so that you have those people, you can just say it as it is. You can truly speak what you're feeling and receive the emotional rest that comes from just being very authentic. You mentioned thought ruminating and rest and, you know, before bed, having your, like replaying a conversation. Mm -hmm. I have a tendency of doing that all the time. (laughs) And I know it's anxiety related. Do you have any like tips and strategies for stopping that? You know, is that other than journaling, which I do, and other than talking to friends, which I do, is there any... Like when that comes up, is there a way that you found pivoting that actually works? It depends on what the ruminations are about. If the thought ruminations are something like the the journaling, well, I don't call it journaling. I just call it kind of mind dumping because it can be your to-do list that you're ruminating over. So it depends on what you're ruminating over. If the ruminations are like negative self-defeating concepts or language to yourself, which I know a lot of um, people have a tendency to do. So let's say, for instance, something happens at work or at home and it didn't go the way you wanted. So now you're kind of playing these self-defeating, negative, critical kind of thoughts over and over and over in your head. What I find that helps a lot with that is to start doing some mental refocusing. And so at the time, you're focusing specifically on the negative. You're focusing on maybe where you didn't do whatever it is that you were hoping had happened in that situation to start refocusing your attention because the way the brain works, it's automatically always going to want to go down the negative path. That's the easiest route for the brain to travel. So if you're talking bad about yourself, the brain says, yep, I agree with that. We'll just go down that path because that's the one that you're, you're remaining on. And so to get onto another path, you have to start redirecting it on purpose, an intentional redirection to a different thought process. And I always say it's helpful to evaluate what is the core issue that you're, that's being addressed with that rumination. 
So I'll just give a specific example uh, just to kind of make it easier to visualize. Cool. If something happened in the middle of a work situation and I gave a response that wasn't what I really wanted to give. And it's like, man, why am I so stupid? Why did I give that response, right? And so now every time that I'm, that whole rest of the day, I'm thinking about how I wish I had responded better than what I actually responded. And so that's the thought rumination I'm going over. I'm rehashing, replaying this over and over and over in my mind about how I wish I had responded better. And in essence, further beating myself up for the answer that I gave the first time. The way that I correct those situations is the first thing I think about is, why is this bothering me so much? Why am I even stuck in this? Because it shouldn't be something I get stuck in unless there's already an issue. It's almost like there's already a woundedness there that is just waiting for something to affirm it. And so for me, I've had a, a long history of insecurities. And so whenever something like that happens, it's like someone has just pushed my insecurity button. Yeah. And so I need to be able to recognize that that that's something that I've had a battle with in the past of feeling insecure or less than or not measuring up in situations so that when I see that confrontation through those negative thoughts, ruminations, I can say, okay, now what do I need to, what is the truth in that situation? What do I need to be telling myself that is actually going to be more productive and lead me down the correct path that I want to be? And so for myself, I do focus words. And so oftentimes when I'm having that repetitive going back to that same conversation, I'll have a focus word. And for me, my focus word is forgiven. I forgive myself for being human, but that's too long to say. So I say forgiven. So, I, so every time my brain tries to run down that negative rabbit hole, telling me how much I suck at something or how I'm never going to measure up compared to somebody else, I go back to a focus word, forgiven. And that helps my brain not only align with what it is I want it to be telling itself in those moments when I don't, you know, knock it out the park every time. But it also is calming because for yeah. some people, they use a mantra. You know, everybody has, some people pray, some people meditate. Everybody has their thing they do. For me, having a focus word, because my brain has a tendency to be very hyperactive, it can't be 20 words I'm trying to remember. It has to be one bird chair that I sit my brain in I oftentimes compare the brain to being a five-year-old child where you tell it to have a seat and you come back five minutes later and the child's bouncing off the walls. Well, that's what my brain looks like most of the time. So I have to have a word chair when it's bouncing around where I discipline it to come back to the place that I wanted to focus on in the moment. Cool. So you literally just, just to get granular about this, because I really would like this to work for me. (laughs) So when you are, you know, I, I too have a tendency towards insecurity. When that starts, you just say in your mind, forgiven and try to yes. think about something else. So what I, what I do, and I don't try to think about anything else. I think about the word forgiven. That's the thing. Don't let your brain keep jumping around mm-hmm. to the different playgrounds. <laughs> it can go. You have to get it to focus in on one word that is meaningful to you. So every person has to kind of process through what is it I need to believe or to know about myself that would help me heal in this moment rather than stay in the toxicity. Mm, Cool. Okay. I like that a lot. (laughs) I'm going to try it. Interrupting this episode to tell you about a supplement that I love called Nutrafol. 
30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you're among them, know that you're not alone and there's a solution that can deliver results. Thousands of women have been using Nutrafol and many users are just raving about this supplement that has transformed their hair and helped with their confidence too. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through all stages of life. Healthier hair growth takes time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in about three to six months. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months more than 2,500 healthcare providers recommended Nutrafol as an effective and high quality solution for healthier hair. I've been using it. I love it. I really think it's been helping me and my hair. Like I mentioned earlier, I've been struggling with that and taking these supplements really is wonderful. I even had their founder, Dr. Sophia, on the podcast recently. So we'll link to that if you want to hear her. She's really cool. Their best offer anywhere is 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, and use the promo code LETITOUT. Again, that's Nutrafol.com, promo code LETITOUT, for 20% off your first month of any subscription for new customers. I want to tell you guys about Athletic Greens. It's the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage that I have ever tried. I really like to know that I can drink this little bit of greens that tastes pretty good and know that I'm getting all of the things that I need nutrient wise in right away with a busy schedule. Sometimes I'm not good at sleeping or exercise or you know, eating things that have a lot of nutrients. (laughs) And sometimes I'm just stressed and knowing that I'm at least getting this in really, really helps me. And I'm so happy that Athletic Greens exists and that I get to share it with you. We have so many stressors in our life right now that, you know, make it difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and, you know, give our bodies all the nutrients that we need to thrive with our busy schedules and, you know, often poor sleep and exercise and stress. And, you know, we simply might not be eating enough of the foods that contain all the vitamins that we need. And that's where Athletic Greens can come in and help with their daily all-in-one superfood powders because it's your nutritional essentials. They're all in there. And it's really easy and it's delicious and I really love it. It's become a new habit of mine that I like a lot and I think you will too if you add it to your health routine and it really empowers you to do this one thing and you know set an intention when you're taking your athletic greens of like all right I did something good for myself today I can be nice to myself too maybe I can think nice thoughts to myself today because you know it contains 75 vitamins and minerals and whole food super sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, including a multi-mineral, 
probiotic greens, a superfood blend, and more that I'm not even mentioning. And they all work together, like I said, to fill these nutritional gaps in your diet, increase your energy and your focus. They aid with digestion, which is really important for me. And it supports a healthy immune system, which is really important for all of us, especially right now. And all of this without needing to take multiple products. So what's really great about Athletic Greens is that you don't have to take a probiotic and a digestive enzyme and greens and a multivitamin. It's all in this one powder, which I really, really love. I take it. It gives me the momentum to do other nice things for myself. And and I think that's incredibly important. And I would love to know how you take it, how you remember to take it, how you put it into your life if you try it I think that would be really cool for us all to know I actually take it while I'm journaling like while I'm doing my morning pages and it seems to be a nice connection with that athletic greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on research and it's had like 53 iterations over the last decade which I think is really cool they invest in the most absorbable and natural sources for every ingredient and you know they go they have this third-party testing and it's just incredibly high quality and the best daily nutrition habit on the planet really it's lifestyle friendly whether you're you know dairy or gluten-free or grains free it's really great. It has, you know, less than one gram of sugar without compromising the taste. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during the winter months. They are offering my audience, you you listening, you, one free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link so the link that's in this episode you'll basically never have to buy vitamin d ever again so whether you're looking for peak performance or better health you're covering your bases with athletic greens it makes sense. It's just really great and tasty and simple and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E, and join health experts, athletes, and, you know, people all over the world to make a commitment to improving your well-being every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Katie. That's A. T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S dot com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E, and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. And just a quick note about the vitamin D thing. Many of our population were low in vitamin D, perhaps deficient. Adding a little bit of vitamin D to your daily routine is a great way to support vitamin D production during the colder months when there's less sun exposure. A lot of health experts are noting the importance of vitamin D and more studies are surfacing around its direct impact on supporting the immune system. So that's that's where that comes from. Something else I heard you talk about, and I think this is in the social rest bucket, boundaries. And specifically, you said something where you said people don't know this, 
they think they want the version of you immediate, immediately right now, but what they really want is the best version of you. And that means you, we, as the, the person we're talking about, need self-awareness to have boundaries. Can you, can you talk about that? Because I just thought that was really profound and it's something I've been working on with my therapist and working on with myself lately and really getting a lot of peace by practicing boundaries. And it's hard. It's like a um, learning a new skill. Yes, absolutely. Boundaries is for many of us learning a new skill because we, we don't like confrontation. Most of us do not like confrontation. And by nature of the word, boundaries require us to be confrontational. We have to be confrontational with often the people we love and are closest to because otherwise they don't know when they have stepped over into our limitations. They don't know when they crossed our boundaries because many times we haven't adequately kind of voiced and set the parameters so that they understand what it is and what we need and what we desire from those different relationships. And so it's important to to really get very clear about what is going to be required of you to be able to get some of the different types of rest that I talk about. Because especially for emotional rest, if you're someone who has a tendency towards people-pleasing behavior, you're going to have a very hard time saying no, which then is going to put you in situations where your time management is being inappropriately used because of your lack of boundaries. And I find that a lot of people find themselves in that situation where the lack of boundaries have now impeded upon their personal and available time within a day. And so now not only do they feel like they, they you know, have emotional rest issues, but they're also dealing with just a time management issue because they're being stretched too thin. Yeah, I think boundaries for me are helping so much the that part that that I was you know trying to quote of you where it's like you know they think they want you right now but really they want the best version of you and I I'll give an example and I would love your thoughts on this but basically you know I have this several friends you know when that will they'll call me out of the blue or facetime me and my tendency usually or or historically is to answer and sometimes that works. And it's like, oh, this was such a nice surprise and delight. And like, I was feeling kind of off, but now hearing you, I feel better. And yes, I do want to go meet you for coffee spur of the moment. And that actually helped. But sometimes it's like, I was actually on a roll with what I was doing and this knocked me off. And now I can't get back on and I'm flustered and I'm not even being a good friend to you. And it's just a mess, you know? And you never know what you're, you're going to get. And so I yeah. think what you said of like, the self-awareness to know like, this is a time where I can't answer this call and I do have space. This is a time where I need to ignore it because I'm on a roll with this thing and I have a deadline in 10 minutes. And I turned off all the notifications on my phone, including text messages because I don't have kids. I don't have like real emergencies. And I feel like as long as I'm checking it every so often, it's fine. And Mm -hmm. if someone's really needing something, they'll call me. So I was noticing like, it felt like all these little like micro traumas of like, I'm on a roll and then I see a text notification and then I'm like thinking about that and then I have to like take time to get back onto the roll. So it's that thoughtful time of like going into your inbox or going on to Instagram or going to your text and like diving in. And, and I, I found that very helpful. But, you know, the boundary things with calls, especially in the pandemic, it's like, 
I do get really lonely. And so when someone calls me, it's like, now or never, you know, I kind of get that feeling. And also I, I'm good at like sending a text to a friend too and being like, dude, I can't chat right now. Can you talk later? Or, you know, just something simple like that of like having that self-awareness and that boundary is really useful. Yeah. And you brought up some really great points. What you're describing there are boundaries to allow yourself to get more sensory rest because you know, many of us stay sensory overloaded because of the number of notifications we have on our devices from our social media and emails and everything pinging us when we have, you know, new input coming in. So I think it's important to realize, you know, that's the thing with boundaries. They apply to all seven of the types of rest. And so your notification changes is you putting boundaries on your sensory input so that you can get more sensory rest. It's the same for every of the, all, all the other types of rest as well. We have to really evaluate where do we need to put up some new boundaries. And I love what you stated initially, the quote that you were discussing where we're talking about, you know, people really don't want you immediately. They want the best version of you. And the reason I say that is because when people call you, let's say that person calls you on the phone and they want to talk to you. If your sensory, you know, if you're sensory overloaded and you're snappy with them and you're short-tempered and, you know, you don't really have the social capacity to deal with them emotionally or any other way in the moment, do they really want to talk to you right then? Mm-hmm. No, they don't really want to talk to you right then. They call not knowing kind of what, where you're at. They call not knowing the details of who exactly is going to be answering the phone. Only you know who is about to pick up that phone. (laughs) Is it the best version of Katie or is it the I'm stressed out, tired version of Katie? And which version would they prefer? Which version do you want to give them? Which I think is even a better question. Yeah. Because the version you want to give them is the best version of yourself. And so when someone texts me or calls me or any of those things, emails me, I always like to have control over how I'm going to respond back to them. I don't want to respond back out of my exhaustion, out of my frustration, out of my lack of energy, because those responses are never the ones that I really want to give people that I care anything about, because it's probably not going to be a really good response. It's going to be kind of a one answer reply to you know, them pouring out their heart. You know? yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you want to be able to give people the best of yourself. So sometimes when, especially when friends will, you know, they'll, they'll be like, you're ignoring me. I need you right now. And it's like, you don't want this version of me right now. Yeah. I just got out of the worst day of my life at the office. This is not the version of me you want. Give me 30 minutes to unwind and, and let me call you back. That was like a real watershed moment for me and something that I've literally this week of the time we're recording this, I'm starting to practice this more. And with some, I've noticed that with some people in my life, I've felt very easy giving these boundaries. Like I've been, it's been easy for me to be like, I'm not going to be good company right now. Like I can't, can we reschedule? Because I feel safe and confident and secure in that relationship. But I notice with other people where I feel a bit anxious attachment towards, or I feel a bit of uncertainty or it's a newer relationship, definitely like with dating, I think it's harder to keep those boundaries and communicate those boundaries. And you feel the pressure of like, I got to show up right now because I don't know if I will, they're going to give me the grace to like show up again, or they don't know me well enough to know that, that I will show up again or something like that. And I think 
you have to, or I'm trying to know that like, I have to try because the version that they get of the flustered me, the resentful me is I'm going to feel worse. They're going to feel worse. It's just, it's just a bummer. And I'm, I'm trying to, this is one thing I'm realizing with this, that I'm trying very hard to not do things. And I, I learned this, I'm reading this book, Codependent No More. <laughs> the title's like so on the nose, but um, you know, the, I'm realizing a lot of my codependency issues. And, and one thing she says in the book is that doing things that you really don't want to do, but you feel like you have to do. And I think that's ex- essentially what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have a friend who I, I talk to quite frequently and you know, I've been either not answering the phone when I can't speak and saying, Hey, I'll call you later. Or, you know, just, just putting up that boundary in the, the whole relationship feels better because I think I, I often was answering the phone and then resentful and on the phone and like trying to listen. And I would get into these little like toddler fits almost, or I'd be like, yeah, that sounds really awful and terrible. And then I'm also stressed too. You know, like it was just like I had nothing to give and I was mad that I was even there and it was just bad. So I'm really working this this muscle and I loved the way that you articulated that. Yeah, I think you made a you you brought up a really great point because that's that's the key, I think, to a lot of this is really being intuitive about am I pouring from my emptiness or am I pouring from my fullness in this moment? Yeah. We're we're in a culture where I think most of us have gotten used to pouring from our emptiness. You know, we've gotten used to just bringing what's left of our, ourselves to every situation. And, you know, that's, that's really what I hope my work helps to change. We can't really give our best work if we're always pouring from our overwhelm. At some point, mm-hmm. we want to be able to start getting filled up in some of these different buckets, in some of these seven different areas, so that we're kind of pouring back out into the world from our overflow from our full self, where we feel fully energized emotionally, or we, so we feel like our creativity is fully poured into and we, we are ready to pour back out something new that we've experienced to the world. You know, I think that's when we start seeing kind of these greater discoveries and, and these new ideas come into play is when we stop getting just so comfortable of being drained all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, fully. You spoke about sensory rest a little bit, but I've heard you talk about email blocking and I'd love if you could speak on that and how that relates to sensory rest. Yes, that's changed my life, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I hate email and every time I go and most of my work is that requires me to be on my email to some degree. So for myself, every time I go into my email inbox, there's usually somewhere between two to 300 emails And I automatically start getting, my heart rate goes up, my palms get sweaty, I automatically go into some type of cortisol response because it literally is that stressful for me every time I see that. And so I don't want to have to do that 50 times a day. You know, emails are coming in all day long. If I wanted to stay on top of my emails, I could go in there all day long and, you know, deal with that cortisol release every time I go in there. What I do is I email block. So I set aside a portion of my day that is usually it's an hour that I'm going to spend going through kind of tidying up, deleting, moving stuff around, you know, flagging stuff in my inbox. And right after that hour, and yours may be longer or shorter depending on what your email situation is, 
right after that hour, I do something that actually helps pour back into me the energy that I just drained out. Mm -hmm. And so I might go on a walk or, or I might go outside just for some fresh air. Or I might do stretching exercises or yoga or go for a run or, you know, any number of things, depending on what I feel like is the type of rest I need in that moment to kind of pour back in the, what's been drained out of me during those moments of dealing with that email. And then from there, I bless them. That's my first block of time that I work with the emails. And then the second time block is usually mid-afternoon. So somewhere around like, so the first one's like around eight, nine o'clock. The second one's somewhere around like one o'clock right after lunch. I'll do like a 30 minute block with the email where I'll go through whatever I flagged or need to further evaluate or whatever, get those tidied up. Then I break away and go do something else. And then at the end of the day, I do another shorter time block that's usually just like 15 or so minutes where I scan through my email to see if there's anything new that came in that I feel is pressing. And so I answer just that one or two emails, and then I don't go back to the emails again. Instead of all day long checking my emails, there's three time blocks that I go in, deal with them, and then I don't have to worry about having to deal with that stress of, of messing with my emails in between those time blocks because I've already kind of dedicated and disciplined myself to stay within those time frames. I really love that. I'm going to try that. So that 8 a.m., 9 a.m. one, is that like an hour you said? It is because I have so many emails. I mean, some people would not need an hour of dealing with emails, but I have so many emails that come through that I need to process through. And I wish I could say, <laughs> I wish I could say all of those are things I could just unsubscribe from because I do believe in using your unsubscribe feature very well. <laughs> yeah. You know, unsubscribe from anything that is no longer feeding you. There is no shame in subscribing to something that really was helpful to you in one season. And then saying, well, no, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to unsubscribe because you can always subscribe later if you decide you really want to read whatever that is again. Mm -hmm. So yeah. use your unsubscribe feature. And even after unsubscribing from a thousand different things, I have a lot of emails that come in. And so just having the time to go through those and you know, delete, trash, whatever you need to do, <laughs> that's yeah. what that first hour is for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same. And I, I really... I'm trying to like change my language around things, but I really struggle with email. And I feel like I have several emails now, like my Instagram DMs and then my text messages. And a lot of the stuff is good or exciting, or I just, I miss things. And it's, you know, I'm either like always in email and not doing anything creative, or I'm like doing things creative and I'm not in my email, or I'm like not, it's like we have all these different buckets, you know, friendship or whatever. And, trying to... I said to a friend this summer, I was like, sometimes I feel like all I'm doing is being a friend. Like all I, I'm all day long, I'm like texting, calling, checking in, you know, with the pandemic and I'm happy to do it. I'm just like, I also need to work, you know? <laughs> and I think, you know, this is obviously like work-related kind of with the email thing, but I think doing that for your text messages in a way that, you know, not as much time or your Instagram DMs or all these different modes of communication we have and, and sort of blocking that is, is a good idea. And I think if we can, again, it goes back to self-awareness as well, but I just have this tendency towards overwhelm of getting so overwhelmed at like all the communication coming at me. So could you talk about overwhelm and 
anything that helps with that? And is that, is overwhelm like the appetizer for burnout? (laughs) It definitely is. It, you know, overwhelm is that feeling as if we have more coming at us than we can contain. The problem is most of us, we need to be filled up, but we don't need to be filled up with more stuff. (laughs) We need to be filled up from the inside. And so when more stuff keeps coming at us, it doesn't fill us up. It just feels like it's putting pressure on us. And that's what overwhelm is. It's that feeling of just more pressure on my life that's not actually filling me up. That's why sometimes just, you know, having, for those of us like myself who are very goal-oriented, we like to check things off our to-do list. We like to have our goals and have them met, you know, all those things. You can get kind of in this trap of thinking that, well, you know, the more things I can accomplish then I, I should feel more energized. I should start feeling better. But they start kind of falling more into the bucket of overwhelm because they're not really filling you up. They're just more things putting more pressure on you. And so that's the mindset you have to start looking at. What, is, what actually pours back into me? What restores me? When I look at rest, that's kind of the mindset shift that I think many people have to first make when they kind of come in contact with my research is that they have to stop looking at rest as just the cessation of activity. Rest isn't simply stopping. It's not laying on the couch watching Netflix on Saturday. Rest means restorative activities. What are the restorative activities that help me feel back up in these seven areas that make me feel better creatively, socially, emotionally, physically, that help me get back to a healthy place creatively or or get my senses sensory areas back to a healthy, non-toxic place. That's where we have to start looking at rest and kind of reframing what that means to us. Yeah. I want to talk about spiritual rest. And specifically, you said something that really struck me and, and made me tear up, actually, of spiritual rest being about belonging. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Spiritual rest is always an interesting one because there's so many different spiritual and religious beliefs. And I have my own that obviously I share very openly. But what I find is that even when people don't agree with my faith belief, we can all get to a point of agreeing the importance of feeling as if we belong to something bigger than ourselves, that we're just not in this world by ourselves. And if, you know, like we're a grain of sand that if we fell, nobody cared, nobody, you know, we didn't mean anything to anyone. We all want to feel like we have purpose and that we belong. And so that is the place that I have everybody begin, regardless of what their faith walk is, that we all need to have that feeling that we are accepted because the lack of that then starts kind of going into a very negative headspace that can lead you down some very dark places emotionally. And I think that's where most people can relate to those times in your life when you've been around people whether that was a a sports team group that maybe you were a member of, maybe it was a body of believers at a church, maybe it was a synagogue, you know, maybe it was at your yoga class. I mean, when you're with a group of people and you felt like a unit, you felt like we are in this together, there's a rest that comes with that. There's a peace of of just your mind, body, and spirit that comes with that because you don't feel kind of disjointed from the world. You feel like you're a part of something bigger. Yeah, and I think we're meant to live in communities and and tribes and connect and isolation is you know, we we all want 
intimacy is being seen and and loved for who we really are and it's vulnerable and yeah it's just really important and that was tremendous thank you it is and and you you know when we're talking about this i'm hoping people will see how all of these kind of intertwine with each other Mm -hmm. but the vulnerability goes along with the emotional and you have to have people that you're vulnerable with which goes along with the social you've got to turn down the noise in your life which goes with the sensory you've got to sometimes kind of not not always be in motion which goes along with the physical you know all of these things have to are they kind of work together to get you to a place where you know we we talk about for years people have been talking about work-life balance i don't believe that even exists i believe our work and our life should be integrated in a way that there's a harmony there's like this underlying harmony that's happening and that's what rest really feels like it's like it's all working together and it's all bringing me to a better place. Yeah, I love that. I want to ask you the rapid fire questions that I ask everyone. But sure. first, can you talk about physical rest? Well, I think the very first thing is to be aware that physical rest is more than sleep. Sleep is the passive form of physical rest. And then you also have the active forms of physical rest, which include like yoga or gentle exercise, like leisure walks. Anything that really helps restores the circulation and the lymphatic without having to just go to sleep, just to be aware that if your body's very tight and very tense and that you're holding a lot of stress because of your body, that there are things that you should probably be doing to help with that. I mean, we can get as kind of technical as possible, even like foam rollers. If you find that you're sitting at a desk for a long period of time, and your legs are aching, maybe part of your physical rest strategy includes foam rollers or stretching exercises. Mm-hmm. So for me, I have a friend who's a naturopath and herbalist and we I was with her in, in Australia this oh gosh, I was gonna say summer. This year is so strange. Um it was their <laughs> summer, February. But basically I realized through that experience because she observed me and how much I'm at my computer and I I have overstretched muscles and she said to me, she was like, you know, most of your physical issues are structural issues. And She got me to see her osteopath, which is like very different in Australia than it is here in the States and noticing these structural issues. And I have another friend who who did the podcast, friend of the podcast, Jules, who owns Good Move in Brooklyn. She's a dancer and, and she gave me this term being dancerly. And I feel like you might like this, Dr. Sandra, but like dancers have this ability to, you know, they're, they're so in their body, right? Like they get up and they stretch if they feel something is tight and they'll move around or they, they're not going to like sit in a chair and get through two more emails when their foot's asleep, right? Or they're like always very aware of like, <laughs> am I hydrated? Do I need a banana? You know? And I was living so the opposite. So I'm trying to like be aware of my structural issues, try to live more dancerly and like take Epsom salt baths, like roll my shoulders, like really treating my body, you know, in these physical rest getting enough movement so I can, when I do and, 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 you know, then stretching and yeah, I, I just thought you might appreciate that as well. Yes. I love that. I, um, my husband's, um, marathoner, actually he's an ultra marathon runner oh my God. and just recently has gotten me on track to train for my first marathon. Wow. And I gotta, I gotta tell you, you, you start learning what body aches and pains feel like Dude. when you're, you start getting above like that. I've done half marathons plenty of times when you get above those 13 miles it's like what just happened 
And yeah, I can totally relate to what you're saying with dancers because usually they're men on their body. You start really being intuitive and paying attention to what your body needs to feel better and not just push through because that's what many of us do. You know, you're, as you stated, you're sitting there and you're cranking out the work on your computer. And if your arm goes asleep, you're just like, let me use the other hand. (laughs) Let's keep going till I finish. And we don't really respect what our bodies, the language our body's speaking to us. And I think that's a really huge part of physical rest is getting back to the point where you actually listen to your body and you respond to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so the questions I ask everyone, are you ready for these? Yeah. Okay, what's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? That's going to be difficult. You're not going anywhere lately. (laughs) Probably quesadillas. Oh, quesadillas are so good. I had tacos last night for the first time in a while and it was like, Chef's kiss. <laughs> what is your favorite way to relax? My favorite way to relax is walking outside. A leisure walk outdoors, anywhere outdoors will, will do. Really. Yeah, me too, actually. I also really love that. What are you most optimistic or excited about in your life right now? I would probably say the newest opportunities that have come up just this past month, I had a six-page feature in Shape Magazine, which was pretty amazing. Oh, congrats. That was pretty amazing. And it was one of those unexpected kind of things. So that was really fun. Mm. And just seeing kind of the opportunities that have come from that. That's so cool. I love that. Who is inspiring to you lately and in general? Let's see. There's so many different people that come to mind automatically. But um, the person that's most inspiring to me right now is actually a friend of mine who is battling cancer and Mm -hmm. she's an author and a speaker and has just really, I just love seeing how she has kind of conveyed her journey with others. She doesn't do it in a way where it's like, oh, look how strong I am. I'm going to keep a smile on my face the whole time. She has really entered into emotional rest on a social media platform, just being really real and raw about where she's at. And I think it's helped a lot of people just really get to a better space themselves when they're dealing with difficult things. Yeah. Can you say her name or her Instagram? Yeah, it's Dr. Michelle Bingston. And yeah, it's just been amazing watching her journey through a very difficult uh, cancer diagnosis. Mm, Yeah. Well, with that, what is your greatest lesson on friendship? Be one. Be the friend that you want. Mm. I think, you know, the thing that the thing that gets really tricky is we're often the friend we think our friend wants. Mm. And, you know, we we think our friend wants us to be this particular way or to respond this particular way. I find that it's it's more authentic if you be the friend you want, because that's usually the type of friend you're gonna want to be. <laughs> the one that you have kind of idealized in your minds, like my perfect friend would take would listen to me, would would, you know, be available um, at, when they're at their best, would, would respect our friendship enough to be truthful to me, even if they know it might hurt. Yeah. And so be that person. Yeah. Don't just want someone else to be that person. You be that person too. Mm, I love that. What is your greatest lesson on romantic relationships? Love and love often. That's what <laughs> on romantic relationships, love and love often. I think love is hard for most of us. We don't want to get hurt. And because we don't want to get hurt, all our walls go flying up. And then we fear loving deeply 
And so because of that, we don't really kind of get ourselves out there so that we can grow those relationships. And so I really um, am a one who feels like, you know, if you start feeling as if you're going deeper and getting more vulnerable with someone, don't run from that, you know, evaluate maybe what's got you running instead mm-hmm. of just running from the relationship and, and allow yourself to, to love many people. You know, it's hard to kind of find the one. So love many people and see what different types of love feel like. There's friend love, there's romantic love, there, you know, let's go hang out and just we're girls or guys, you know, love. And so just to be able to experience love in all its many facets. Love that. What about greatest lesson on family? I know you, you know, maybe you touched on it with love. Is there anything else you want to add to that? I think with family, I'm well, when I think about family, I think about kind of my immediate family with my husband and my kids. One of the things that comes to mind every time I think about that and that I try to practice within my home is to have some some electronic free time with with families. You know, it's really easy, particularly in my household, my husband's in IT and my kids are very techie that we could literally go an entire day without looking at each other in the eyes, not one time if we really tried. And it wouldn't be that difficult actually because there's so many gadgets in our house because everybody's so techy. But just to make a point of the importance of that eye-to-eye contact within our marriage and with our kids, with our two teens, to have that eye-to-eye contact because there's so much that's conveyed in just that time of being eye-to-eye. Yeah. How does the pandemic impact that? And do you think that like, I would love your thoughts on the pandemic in, in general with, with rest and this human connection with, with eye contact specifically? Well, within your own home, you know, like I said, if you're having your own personal families there, it's much easier to continue to maintain that because they're literally in your house and they're probably in your house more now than they ever have been you know, spouses and everybody, kids working, kids doing homeschooling and <laughs> spouses working from home, even if they've never done that before. But for those who maybe are single and still ha- needing that eye-to-eye intimacy contact, one of the things that I recommend and that the research had just some really great, showed some really great promise with was the use of just video. So when your friend wants to, you know, get together and have a chat, rather than doing it by text or even doing it by phone, to purposely go to like some type of video app so that you can actually see each other and you get to experience just the power of presence with each other. You can eye contact through the video. You can see their mannerisms. You can see their hand motions. You can see their body language. All of those things that help you really to interpret how your words are landing and kind of how somebody's receiving you is a huge part of the experience. And if you can't physically, you know, be face-to-face with someone, then that's the next best thing. I know. I I, I think it, it is challenging for you know people who live alone. I'm lucky because I have a lot of friends here that I can see safely, but it's just wild. Anything else um, with rest or with the pandemic specifically, tips for people day to day that you want to share that you you know didn't get to or you think that we should know? <laughs> Well, I think probably the the one thing that I found that a lot of people found to be very helpful is the rest quiz that I've created. It's on my website at restquiz.com. And many people who go through my work and have kind of listened to different podcasts and things, the number one question that tends to pop up is, 
well, which type of rest do I need most? Am I deficient in one of the seven types of rest? And that's what we kind of strive to achieve with restquiz.com is to help people identify which of the seven types of rest they're most deficient in. That way you're not putting your attention on trying to get all of these type of seven at one time, but you're focusing your attention on the type of rest that you have the greatest deficit in. Because once you start improving that area, you automatically start feeling better because that's the place where you're having the most depletion. Mm. And as you mentioned in my book, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, I go into a lot more detail about each of the seven types of rest, as well as give tips, multiple tips on how to get more rest in each of these different areas. Well, everyone should check out your book and I'm really grateful that you were here. So the last thing I ask before we do the final let it out thing that we do together, which I'll tell you, (laughs) but is this is just a question to recommend things. So these can be all-time favorites or something that you're loving lately, but book, music, podcast, food, TV show, movie, any of those categories or all of them that you want to recommend? Let's see. I read a lot of books. Favorite book right now that I'm working through is called Be the Bridge. It's a book on racial reconciliation that I think is very powerful and just has a really great mindset of how it approaches it. Favorite TV show. Let's see. I don't watch a lot of TV, so that was a lot harder. Well, I recently saw, uh, it was a net. Netflix, um, and I don't even know if I got, I think it's called Queen Gamut. Oh, yeah, the very, Queen's Gamut or something yes, like that. It was a yeah. very interesting take on her journey, you know, through competitive um, play. And so I, I, I really resonated with that, I think, mm-hmm. probably because she was a female in a man's world. So I really love just kind of some of the ways they put that together. Did you say favorite food? All time favorite food, like last meal, food. You know, um, let's you see, all time favorite food would probably be Thai, anything Thai. I like hot, hot, spicy foods. That would probably be my all time favorite type of food, I should say. Love that. Movie? Uh, let's see. I haven't really seen any great movies in a long time. So I'm trying to think of um, a movie that I really loved. Probably my favorite movie of all time would, is a Christmas movie, actually. It's, um, oh, cool. <laughs> so, but I haven't watched it recently. My family and I, and I think it's because we just, I associate it with my kids being young. Um, Home Alone, we always watch it together. We, we still do. We always watch it together as a family. And we always laugh like we've never seen the movie before in our life. So <laughs> recently, we took the kids to New York for the first time and kind of did a Home Alone 2 Let's retrace where Kevin had been adventure. So yeah, that would probably be my favorite movie. Okay, well, we did it, Dr. Sandra. You are so wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that you want to recommend or share? The show is called Let It Out. So did you let out everything that you wanted to? Is there anything that you wish I would have asked that you never get to talk about? No, I think we did. but I think I let it all out. Great. Okay. So we end with taking a deep breath together. Are you down? Yes. Okay. Ready? Inhale. Exhale. Let it out. (sighs) Thank you. You're so great. It was so nice to chat with you. It was a pleasure. Take care. All right. That was my episode with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. 
follow her, check out her book, take her rest quiz. She has like a quiz that we'll link to. She's tremendous and I'm so grateful that she did the podcast. If you want to connect with me more, I have my journaling kits and this is such a tremendous time of year to turn to writing as a means to get to know yourself more, to develop self-awareness. And right now I am in the midst of doing a New Year's resolution kit. It's called Reframe Your Resolutions, and you can learn my process that I do every year of reflecting on the year that just happened and figuring out what you want to invest your time and energy and money in for the next year coming up, what you want to change, what you want to keep coming up with your word of the year, your feelings of the year. I take you through the whole process. So that's available to you. And as well as our write kit, our breakups kit, all of these kits that are journaling workshops, they're journaling courses. You guys, they're online courses. I call them kits because I didn't like the word online course, but you know what? That's what they are. Maybe I should change the name because I think it's confusing. We also have a podcast kit. If you want to start a podcast this year, I have a course that takes you through everything from coming up with a concept to technology to interviewing to getting it to iTunes, marketing, monetizing it. It's all there for you. And, you know, I, I do creative underdogs. If you like at the beginning when I told you about what I'm learning in real time, that's what creative underdogs is. It's like Dharma talks for me on creativity. It's bringing your project somewhere where it can nurture and have a supportive group. It's my favorite thing that I've ever done. I used to say that about the podcasting kit, which I also am grateful for and I love. But, you know, this is really cool because what I learned with the podcasting kit, it's like it wasn't about starting the podcast for people. It was about am I okay to bring this piece of art into the world? Can I put this project out and I need support feeling like I can around it? And so that's what this group is. It's it's a support group and I love it so much. So anyway, that's already in session, but we're going to do another one in March if you wanted to join. All right. Love you. And I will talk to you next week with a new episode with Mina Harris. She is really wonderful and she wrote a children's book that we will link to here if you want to read. In the meantime, I'm very excited for you to hear that episode. All right. Have a great week and I will talk to you next week. 